Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. God spoke to me through my daughter yesterday on my birthday. How cool is that? My seventh grade daughter. How much even more cool is that? It all came in a letter she wrote to me for my birthday. Yesterday was my birthday. 59 years old. Yeah, I know you can't believe it. <laughs> Let's share some reflections on life in time, on my birthday, on being 59, on how do we want to really live. I'll do that today on the program. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 12. It's only a short six verses, but it's a beautiful six verses. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. On that day you will say, I give you thanks, O Lord. Though you have been angry with me, your anger has abated, and you have consoled me. God indeed is my Savior. I am confident and unafraid. My strength and my courage is the Lord, and he has been my Savior. With joy you will draw water at the fountain of salvation, and say on that day, Give thanks to the Lord, acclaim his name. Among the nations make known his deeds. Proclaim how exalted is his name. Sing praise to the Lord for his glorious achievement. Let this be known throughout all the earth. Shout with exultation, O city of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you, we praise you, we adore you, we love you for the gift of life, for the gift of, of new life, for you indeed are our Savior. We look to you, Lord. We are confident and unafraid. Thank you, Jesus. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so that passage I begin with, Isaiah 12, I didn't come up with that one on my own. It was given to me. Isaiah 12, beautiful. It's a short chapter. It's beautiful. And what's the emphasis here? The emphasis is on God as a Savior. God is a Savior who has, is strong, who comes to rescue, to set free. And when he comes to set us free, we know joy. We will know salvation. We will know life. And we will start to sing and praise and thank the Lord for his glorious achievement. We will make him known throughout the ends of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what, that's, wouldn't you want to have a life that said that? 
wouldn't you want a life that proclaimed that? Well, that passage came to me from my daughter, Luciana. Again, a seventh grader, 13 years old. And she wrote me a letter. Like when my kids, my kids are old enough now, most all of them, to be able to get me a gift. And the gifts that are most endearing to me are letters. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I don't need gifts. Don't need acts of service. I, I would like quality time and I would like words of affirmation, principally in the form of a letter that's written more than just words that are spoken. The words that are spoken are also beautiful. They're also meaningful. Yeah, I, I love those as well. But when someone takes the time to write a letter, to write a note, there's such power in that. It, it has a greater impact. It has the capacity to, to, you can go back to that letter again and again and again, and it's still there. And uh, when I think about the scriptures as God's word, you, you've I'm sure you've heard a talk, I've heard, you heard one of those talks where the Bible is God's love letter to us or love letters to us. And I, as I, just as I sit here, it feels like <laughs> I'm, just, I'm really just coming to it right now that I asked those around me who love me to send me a letter. And God sent me a letter. Wow. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You sent me a letter today. Oh, yesterday. I'm recording this on my birthday. You're hearing it the day after. Wow, you sent me a letter, Lord. Through my daughter, you hand-delivered it to me. Thank you. And I am going to pray through that as a letter from God, as a note. It's short. It's six verses. It has to be one of the shortest chapters in the whole book of the prophet Isaiah. And I... I don't know, I'm just, I'm a little bit, I'm kind of moved. I'm kind of moved at this thing that just dawned on me. I, I guess I could say it that way. I could say the Lord is revealing it to me in this living moment, in this moment, that he's saying to me, Tom, I love you. I created you. And here's my message to you today. And it's a living word. So there's something fresh and new about that word that he means for my life. You mean this, Lord, for my life. So one of the things that showed up, I, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that showed up for me uh, in, uh, my, on my birthday. The first one came from uh, LinkedIn, of all places. <laughs> and, well, I shouldn't say it like that, because it actually came from uh, an email that, you know, kind of was from LinkedIn. But when I opened it up, because I don't really, um, uh, I don't really, uh, what's it called, go on there much. But when I did, I went on to, uh, onto LinkedIn. There was a, a post that was there. And this post came from a person that, you know, I, I've known, but I, I really don't, I haven't interacted with her in, in a really long time. And so, um, Let's see here. So she posted something that is one of those, like, uh, like a, it was a, like a poster. Nobody will remember and people will remember. Nobody will remember your salary, how busy you were, busy was in quotes, how many hours you worked, or how many Gucci bags you owned. <clears throat> Nobody will remember those things. Your salary, how busy you were, how many hours you worked, 
or how many Gucci bags you owned. What will people remember? People will remember how you made them feel, the time you spent with them, if you kept your word, and if they could count on you. And, you know, this was posted by some kind of, I don't know, it's one of those things that gets shared around, right? And this is like from leaders. And I thought about that, and I'm thinking, people will remember how you made them feel, the time you spent with them, if you kept your word, if they could count on you. And I thought, I, I don't know, I, I, I think that's kind of a low bar. <laughs> uh, and here's how I, like, I'm like, what will people remember about you? I'm asking you, you, you brothers and sisters, if you could answer that question for yourself, what would you want people to remember about you? I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer it live with you now. You can do up to four, all right? How you made them feel. I don't know. That, for me, why don't you say it this way? What was the atmosphere that you created when you were in the room? What What was it that you radiated out into a space when you were there, present and interacting? I know that's different than saying how you made them feel. (laughs) People will remember what you radiated into the room. People will remember the atmosphere you created when you were present in a room. I know that's a lot longer (laughs) than if you kept your word. But if I'm going to say, what what will people remember? People will remember like the spirit, the, 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 the spirit, the atmosphere, the, the attitude, right? What was it that you radiated into the room? I think that that, that's like when you think about people that had an impact on you, actually, there it is. I I would even say it that way, right? The ones who have had the biggest impact on us, it's just them showing up. It's just them showing up. That didn't just make you feel a certain way, but there was something that pressed into your life by them. They impacted your life. They moved you. They moved your life. And, uh, you know, I, I say, well, oh, is that a rare few that has that opportunity to radiate uh, a spirit, an atmosphere, uh, something into a room that's going to impact others? Absolutely not. Every one of us. You. Actually, let's, let's turn it around. Let's actually flip the script here and say, there's a lot at stake in your life because you do give off something in the atmosphere when you walk into a room. I'm, I'm not just saying if you wear cologne or perfume. I, but if you hold on to that idea, if you, if you have a strong perfume or a strong cologne, you walk into a room and it, everybody is going to notice, wait a minute, there's an aroma that has entered the room when this person entered the room. St. Paul talks about the aroma of Christ the aroma of Christ that we bear into the world. I actually love that because he gets at a really important key to this idea of the aroma of Christ that we bring into the world. And, and he does it because what he talks about is this aroma of Christ. He actually says it here. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 
14 and following. Okay, listen. He says, Thanks be to God, who unfailingly leads us on in Christ's triumphal train and employs us to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge everywhere. We are an aroma of Christ for God's sake both among those being saved and those on the way to destruction, to the latter an odor dealing death, to the former a breath bringing life. For such a mission as this is anyone really qualified. We speak in Christ's name, pure and motivatious, conscious of having been sent by God and of standing in his presence. There's the, there's the ultimate key right there. If you're going to give off the aroma of Christ, are you being sent, from his, are you being sent forth into the world or are you standing in his presence? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. How do you give off the aroma of Christ? Well, it's giving off Christ. Jesus Christ lives in you. So when we think about the idea of of giving off the aroma of Christ, it's because the union we have with Jesus Christ is so profound in us. It's so deep. It's so penetrating that we give off Christ. We give off the light of Christ. So that for me, now that is, that's a worthy goal, right? If you say, how do you want people to remember you? You want people to remember you as someone who gives off the light of Christ. You give off the aroma of Christ. You give off the atmosphere of of what is the, let's call it the fruits of being in union with Christ, right? Remember the scripture in 2 Corinthians says that you're standing in his presence because in your heart, you're in union, you're in the union with the Lord. That's how you can be in his presence and going forth. Because in, in your heart, in that secret place of your heart, you're in union with Christ. But when you move forth from that out into the world, you're on mission. And so if you hold on to that, what that means is, is that it's the union with Christ that's going to show up when you show up. And the fruit of a union with Christ is peace. It's joy, it's freedom, it's life, it's a sense of welcome, of belonging, it's, it's all of that, it's all of that. People will remember the spirit, the atmosphere, the aroma that you brought into the room. What if it's not very impactful or if it's very impactful, if it's positive or if it's negative, people will remember the spirit that you brought into the room. Let's pray that it's the spirit of Christ. The second thing, what will people remember? People will remember your vision of life. Like, were you optimistic? Did you have a sense of, I am experiencing a sense of freedom Because my God, my Father in heaven, he owns everything. He's in charge of everything. And my vision of life is that it is good to be alive. It is a stunning wonder to be alive. And that's something that we ought to uh, approach we ought to see with a, with a deep sense of of gratitude right are you grateful people will remember a person who expresses gratitude for the blessing 
of just being alive. It's good that we're here. And it's good that our loving God is going to lead us home to him. Now, isn't that how you want to live your life? That's how I want to live my life. What will people remember? People will remember your vision of life. People will remember what you exude into a room. People will also remember what they saw when they looked into your eyes. Ooh, that's a powerful one. What do I mean by that? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. All right, so I am reflecting on my 59th birthday. Turned 59 yesterday. And it's so weird. It's so weird because when I look in the mirror, I don't see a 59-year-old man. I just don't. When I see a picture of myself, I do wonder, depending on the angle, like, who's that old guy? <laughs> when I look at pictures of my dad, and I've been looking at a lot of pictures of my dad recently, because he died, you know, just over a month ago, and I'll often end up saying to myself, I'm older than my dad is in that picture by 10 years. That happened yesterday. I was looking at a picture. I'm like, boy, my dad looks old right there. Hey, wait a minute. He was only 48 in that picture. <laughs> That's not very helpful. That is not very helpful. Uh, I don't have that authentic sense of insight into it, but it's not like how I look. It's how old I am. And when I look at the number 59 on paper, I have a very different perspective. Because when I think about it in terms of something like a career or working, I'm thinking to myself, how many more years am I going to be able to work fruitfully? How many more years am I going to be able to work with energy? Dang. Just a, hand, a handful of years maybe? Right before I, I better be slowing down? And so it's, uh, I think, honestly, I think it's kind of a simple thing. The reason why I see myself so much younger is that I have an 11-year-old, and so I'm often at school with my 11-year-old and my 13-year-old. And so I'm hanging around with other parents who have 11-year-olds and 13-year-olds. And let's just say, there are not that many parents that are my age that have 11-year-olds and 13-year-olds. But there are a whole bunch of parents in their 30s and 40s, and let's say, you know, maybe early 50s, who do. And so I, I kind of see myself with them. They don't see themselves with me. <laughs> That's pretty humbling. That is pretty humbling. So looking at the number on the page does definitely convey a message to me. Looking at myself in the mirror, I see something different. And it's like, I, I want to live in the truth. I want to live in the truth. 
what do people see? What, what do you want people to remember, right, about you? That's what I was going over this, this little poster, this post in LinkedIn. Uh, and, you know, they're saying, look, they're not going to remember how much you made, the position you had, the salary, the stuff you had. Well, what will they remember? How, how you made them feel? No. No, 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 no. What did they see when they looked into your eyes? People will remember what they saw when they looked into your eyes. And for me, that's very profound and powerful because what they will see in our eyes is going to be, in, in a certain sense, a reflection of what we see when we look into the eyes of the ones who love us. And most of all, most importantly, what we come to see about ourselves by looking into the eyes of God. You've heard me say this again and again and again. right? John Paul II's gift message. You are a gift, but you'll never come to discover that on your own. You'll never figure it out. You'll never earn or deserve the gift title or the awareness that you're a gift. Guess what? The awareness or consciousness that you are a gift is given to you as a gift. And it's given to you in the eyes of love, most profoundly and perfectly in the eyes of Jesus. Yes, you can look Jesus in the eyes. Hey, wait a minute. How do I look Jesus in the eyes? He's God. He's not here. Spiritually. And when I say spiritually, I don't just mean it kind of in quotes where, therefore, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just poetic. No. God is much more personal than we are. God is infinitely personal. God is infinitely personal compared to us. We're created persons. And so when you think of personal, you think of a face and a name and eyes. But the idea of being seen, being known, being gazed at, being lovingly looked upon and cared for, who, who does that the best? God. Where can you spiritually come into contact with the eyes of God looking at you? It's in prayer. Most profoundly, I would say in adoration, Go to adoration or go in, into a church where there's a tabernacle. You're in the, the physical presence of Jesus Christ, the Lord and God, There's the risen Lord and God. Look him in the and, and say, Jesus, please look, at, look me in the eyes. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to quietly be in your presence. And I'm going to say, Jesus, who am I to you? Jesus, who am I to you? Hold on to that one. Jesus, who am I to you? Everything changes in your spiritual life when you give God permission, when you give God a chance to answer that question, who am I to you? You might be thinking, oh, he's exaggerating. Everything changes. What are you talking about? I'm talking about not just my personal experience, but it, it's actually throughout the scriptures in our tradition. It's what people refer to as the encounter, what people, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Pope Francis, the emphasis on encounter, the encounter with Christ. When they mean encounter, they mean this sense of, I met him face to face. There's this sense of saying, he sees me, he knows me, and there's a way in which he is unveiling things to me that I didn't realize about myself. I came to know who I am because I came to be known by him. And, and that's what the Lord wants for us, right? That's what the Lord, well, when, when that happens, and, and again, I'm saying through that prayer, Jesus, who am I to you? Jesus, who am I to you? Take that risk in your prayer time today. Jesus, who am I to you? 
You see, life goes on. Life moves forward. You might see yourself a certain way in the mirror. You might see yourself a certain way if you look at the calendar and you realize how many years you are. But who you really are, you discover in the mind of Christ. You come to know in the mind of Christ. So one of the things that's been happening during, uh, that happened during my birthday is that my love language is um, words of affirmation, as you know. And I mentioned that there's this scripture, Isaiah 12, that my daughter, I asked her, I said, Luciana, I said, why did, she said, did you read the scripture? I said, yes. I said, how did you come to that? She said, I don't know. I just was praying and and, and reflecting. And, And she does this a lot. She has a little journal. And what she likes to do is open the Bible, find a passage that jumps out at her, and she'll write down the passage into her journal. So her journal isn't so much like a personal reflection about, in this instance, Isaiah chapter 12 or 11, but instead it's her actually writing out the passage of Scripture itself. And and I find that very endearing. I find it endearing because it's her, in a certain sense, mimicking Right, the idea of journaling, because she sees that I have a journal and Carrie has a journal and that I'm writing in my journal most days. And so when I say, okay, it's prayer time or it's quiet time, like like I did two days ago on Sunday, I said, kids, okay, you finished your work. Now come in here and let's do quiet time, right? By the way, that, that's a very good practice. I just, I still encourage that, that that's something that you can do with your family, my kids, what do they want to do? They want to watch a show. And I'm like, no, we're not going to watch a show. We're going to have a time of family prayer. But in this moment, before we actually pray as a family, we're going to have some quiet time together as a family. And so the kiddos came into the room, and one of them uh, had a, uh, uh, it was a, like a, a spiritual reading book uh, that was Liliana that she's reading for school. What was Luciana doing? That's when she was journaling. So she was journaling and she had her Bible and she had her journal and she was writing in it. Um, little did I know that she was you know, not only writing that passage, but she was also writing me a letter, a, a note. And I, um, it, I began to think about... Uh, like, okay, what does it mean to be a father to my kids? And, you know, you've heard me say lead, provide, protect. A very beautiful thing happened on my birthday morning. On my birthday morning, I was sitting in my uh, prayer chair, and I was taking some quiet time and looking out the front window. And it's gotten a bit lighter earlier, so it wasn't so dark <laughs> during my prayer time. And there's a bunch of wild turkeys that will come and they will uh, be feed, they will, they will hang out across the street from our house. And I didn't quite know why, but all of these turkeys would be, would be there. And I'm thinking, what are they eating? And every once in a while, um, one of the, the bigger turkeys would fly up into the, the branches that were sort of overhanging the area where they were. And would just land on the branch. I'm like, that's such a big turkey that that branch can barely sustain the turkey. And all of a sudden, I saw 
and understood why. When the turkey landed on the branch, the branch sunk and swayed significantly. And that was the goal the turkey had, because when the turkey did that, it was shaking loose whatever little bits of food that was still like sort of on the on the branches. And so it would shake it, and then the turkeys would kind of, you know, uh, like make a scrum. They would just like be like going after like a, this big pile of turkeys grabbing and, and pecking at the ground over what was just shaken loose by the, the big turkey. And it made me think about my own life as a husband and father. I'm, I'm like a turkey. <laughs> I'm like the turkey that flies up into the branches and shakes loose the provisions needed by the other turkeys, by the family of turkeys that this, you know, I don't know, this dominant turkey is supposed to, supposed to be providing for. But, you know, he puts in all the effort. He's shaking loose the branches but gets none of the benefit. His benefit is that he gets to provide for the other turkeys. That's what he was made to do. Okay, so this brings me back around to that poster, what will people remember about you? Remember the first one I said? People, what people will remember about you is what you radiate into an environment. Like what's the atmosphere that happens when you walk into a room? And remember what I said, whether you like it or not, choose to do it or not, uh, or acknowledge it or not, you are radiating something. There is an atmosphere that accompanies you into a space. The second thing I said was, people will remember how you saw the world, how you see the world. If you see it in the light of God, in the light of the, the reality that you're created by God and you're grateful for the blessing of being alive and the destiny that is yours as God's child, you're called to a heavenly homeland, how you see the world is going to, in fact, shape how you live your life today. And that is what people will remember. The third one was, remember the, the, the third one? I just finished it. People will remember, what people will remember about you is what they saw when they looked into your eyes. And I think that ultimately what I mean by that is when they look into your eyes, and, and that has to do with how you are present to them, do they feel acknowledged? Or do they feel like you're just there to use them? Do, do they feel appreciated? Do they sense that you see them as having dignity, as being a person, as being irreplaceable, one of a kind, never to be seen again, that gift quality, right? Do they, do they appreciate that when they look into your eyes? Or do they sense a dismissiveness, a, I, I'm measuring you up and making an evaluation about whether or not I need to take you seriously, right? So these are the, or, or even other more sinful like things, like when women look into your eyes, do they sense that you're looking at them with eyes that are pure and, and modest? Or is there lust and uh, sexual desire, right? So for guys, like what, what do people see? What do people, what, what do people see when they look into your eyes? Uh, I remember that really cutesy story of my 
daughter Anne Marie when she was just a little girl and I was helping her to floss her teeth for the first time. And I had to get down at her level and my face was just like right in her face. And I had my hand opening her like jaw so that I could, opening her mouth, like holding onto her jaw so that I could get the little dinosaur tooth flosser in there. And when I was done, I stood up and she smiled and she said, Daddy, I could see myself in your eyes. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Daddy, I could see myself in your eyes. And there's so much truth to that. There's so much truth to that. The people will see themselves. What do people remember about you is that when they looked into your eyes, they saw something about themselves that they never knew was there. They came to realize something about themselves in a fresh way, a new way, a deeper way than they had known before they had talked to you. So what will people remember about you? So those are, those are the first three. What was my last one? I think that if I wanted to use a, a word that is more common, I would say that I would want them to say, what will people remember about you? He lived a life of generosity. He lived a life of generosity. And, and that means what? It means... He lived a life where he gave more than he received. He lived a life where he gave more than he received. So those are the four that I came up with, but there's, there is another word. And, and it's not, oh, he, he was holy, right? He was saintly, right? Those are obviously things that we want. But there's another word that I would like to use. But I'm up against a break. So I'll tell you on the other side of the break in just a minute. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. Uh, the, the word that I was thinking of was magnanimity. He lived a magnanimous life. What will people remember about you? He, she, you, they, we lived a life where we, we were striving to extend ourselves to do something great for God. We extend ourselves to do something great for God. That's what I want. I want to foster that sense of living a magnanimous life. All right. Well, you stop and say, how can we do that? How do we foster that in, in our kids? How do we foster that in, in the life that we're living? I'm going to tell you about a meeting I, I had last night. This was a meeting at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. It's the classical Catholic high school here in Spokane where my daughter Annalise goes. She's a, a freshman there. And it is now getting close to basketball season. And so there was the parents' night for the basketball team. And I'm coaching the varsity girls team. And so as part of parents' night, we break off the, the boys and the girls or the junior varsity and varsity boys and the varsity girls. So we separated after we started with um, some time in common. And, um, and I had a chance to present my vision for the, uh, for the varsity girls. And so I'm going to share that with you. I want to share with you uh, what I shared with them, but more quickly. All right. <laughs> it won't take as long. And uh, the, the, the goal of the presentation was to help the parents realize like, what's my philosophy? What's my approach to coaching? What are my strategies? What's my vision? 
all of that sort of stuff, right? So, um, so I, I just began by sharing, you know, a little bit about me. Married 29 years to Carrie, nine kids. Annalise, who's on the team, is number seven. And then I put down the number 100 plus. This is on a PowerPoint slide, by the way. And that's the number of teams my kids have been on. And I brought that up that my, my nine kids have been on more than 100 teams. What that means is that my kids have been around, realistically, 90 coaches, right? Maybe slightly less than that, 80 coaches on these 100 teams. And so I have seen, <laughs> I've seen the difference it makes, coaching. Uh, and I, I think that Carrie and I, when we're watching games, we are much less concerned about the players on the court or on the field than we are about the coaching. It's that big of a deal. And, you know, this is my seventh, uh, I've coached seven different basketball teams, but I also put down, I've had 10,000, more than 10,000 hours of coaching executives and church leaders. And so that, that, and, and a lot of the executives that I've coached were in situations where I've had to help very high-powered, uh, very mature, confident leaders be able to work together as a team. So I have certain insights that I lead with when I talk about coaching at the high school level. The first one is that no one is going pro. <laughs> oh my goodness, so many times with parents over the years where they're on the sidelines and they're watching their kid play and they're talking about their kid like this kid's going pro. Whatever the sport, pick the sport. Oh yeah, my, my son's got a gift. My daughter, oh, she's so gifted, right? And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, your kid's not going pro. Your kid's not going to get a college scholarship. Or if they do, it'll be a partial scholarship, Division two at best. <laughs> and, but then it, all of the investment of time, energy, effort, attention, focus to pursue that, I don't know, is it, is it, is it even a dream or is it a nightmare? Because what I put down was no one's going pro. So I, I, I don't have any illusions about the kids that are here. And then I said, and I wouldn't want my daughter to even if she could. I wouldn't want my daughter to go pro even if she could. That's not an ideal of mine for my daughter in playing basketball. Okay, uh, a second insight was that parents come to games to watch their children play and to cheer on the team. How many times have I been with parents where that our team, my, our, the team my kids are on and their kids on, we're winning, but they are grumbling. They are upset. They are fuming because parents come to the game to watch their children play, not to watch other kids' children play. And yeah, they're going to cheer on the team as long as they feel like their kid, their kids, are also having a chance to engage in the game. And then the last one was, I said, uh, the last two, the, the biggest factor that determines whether a team will be mediocre or will achieve its highest potential is having a coach who's strategic. That's the number one reason that's going to determine whether a team will be mediocre or achieve its highest potential. And that's really the key, right? I didn't say it's going to win the championship. I said achieve its highest potential. It takes a coach who's strategic. And again, when Carrie and I are sitting in the stands watching the way these coaches coach, it is so frustrating because they lack this sense of responding to the moment. Like, 
Do you realize that's not the best way to use your players? Do you realize what the other team is doing here? You're not being very responsive to what they're doing that's stopping you. And you're not being very wise about using the players that you could use to get more points to do better than you're doing. Ah, how am I really feeling today? And then the last, the second biggest factor that I think determines whether a team will be mediocre or achieve its highest potential is that this team plays like a team, not just as a group of individuals, right? So that's where I began. But then I, I consider it a gift, a privilege, and stewardship to be a coach. It's a gift, privilege, and stewardship to be a coach. And I say that because at the high school level in particular, in, in late junior high, seventh and eighth grade on, is that kids that age, young men and women that age, they're starting to lose the sense of, I want to be directed by mom and dad. And they're more looking for direction or guidance from other adults. And so I know what that's like, trying to press in and, and, and encourage, direct, uh, guide, and mold my kids and they can become increasingly grumbly and increasingly wanting to get a sense of space and independence and make their own decisions. And they still need to be guided, formed, and led. But if they're beginning to create a sense of resistance, reluctance, uh, animosity towards us, well, then we want to have other adults in their lives who will shape and mold them in accord the with the same ideals. And that's where teachers other like uncles, uh, uh, uncles and aunts and, and other family members or adult uh, friends of yours. But coaches, coaches can play a critical role there. So that's why I see coaching as such a, as a really big deal. So, but let me link this to what I was just talking about, which is, you know, what do you, what do you want people to remember about you? Well, you, you know, you, you're called to, to be a saint and to fulfill a God-given mission. Sports can help with that. Sports can help with kids in their own pursuing of the God-given goal to become a saint and to fulfill the God-given mission for which they were created. And so that's my first goal. Really, my first goal as a coach is to help our kids elevate, help our kids strive for the heights, right? The Pierre Giorgio Forsati. Let's, let's embark on a great adventure to go to the heights. And we can do that through coaching. And I pointed out in, in, the, um, in the evening uh, six different passages from Scripture that use uh, athletic uh, imagery to convey a fundamental point of Christian uh, living or being a disciple of Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, persevere in running the race, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith, right? First uh, Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, right? You have athletes competing for a prize and that's perishable, run so as to win, right? Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. Let's exercise discipline so that after having preached to others, we ourselves would be excluded. We don't want that. We run for an eternal crown. Colossians 3, 23, 24, whatever you do, work at it with your whole being. Do it for the Lord rather than for men, right? So, isn't that beautiful? If you want to be successful at athletics, stir in your kids the desire to work, with at, work at the craft of basketball with your whole being. Right? Do it for the Lord rather than for men. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. And so, you know, these are, these are important scripture passages that lay out how you want to live your life as a disciple. But for high school kids, what a great opportunity for them to have these instilled in them in the context of athletics. Uh, and then Romans 12, 4 to 6, we're one body with many members. Not all the members have the same function. So it's about learning to play your part in realizing that people have different parts to play. Uh, and then Matthew 5, 14 to 17, your light must shine before all that they might see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. That is a really powerful vision of the culture aspect. You know, it'll radiate the way that a team lives their lives. All right, back in a minute. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So today I'm reflecting on my birthday. And yesterday was my birthday. Uh, and just, it, I had several instances in the course of the day where I had a chance to pause and ponder and reflect about the gift of life and, and how we're called to, to live our lives. And I'm finishing the program today by sharing with you some of the things I shared last night at the Chesterton Academy uh, of Notre Dame at the parent night for basketball uh, players, specifically of the girls' basketball team. And uh, wanting the parents to know, what's my approach? What's my philosophy? And really, my philosophy in the uh, as a coach isn't really very departed from what I try to instill in my own kids at home. But now I have the very specific context of doing this and in terms of uh, girls basketball, so. Um, but you know what? There's there's even a, a really beautiful way to understand that um, when you're uh, in coaching, what I'm also trying to do is help all of these daughters, all these women, achieve the three traditional goals of a classical education. Okay, when you think about a classical education, right? You have grammar, logic, rhetoric. You have the pursuit of truth and goodness and beauty right? Uh, utilizing the different capabilities we have. But the goals are that when you come out of a classical Christian education, you will have learned how to think. So that's one of the goals, learn to think. The second is you'll also, you'll have learned how to learn. So it's learning to learn. And then the third is to learn to love learning. You have this passion for learning. So if you come out of a classical school, and you've learned how to think, you've learned how to learn, and you've learned to love learning, that, those are, that's incredibly important human found formation that you'll be able to take with you in, in the totality of your life, right? In whatever you study in college, uh, in whatever relationships you have, right? At work, at home, friendships, in, in family. You, if you want to marry someone, make sure that you know, you know how to think, you know how to learn, and you know how to learn, love learning. Okay, so... I just talked about how we're going to implement those things in the context of playing basketball, right? So learning how to think, having the right mindset, being intentional, living well in the present moment, maximizing every moment, uh, living in the present, not letting, and when something goes wrong, you push forward in the present moment. Learning how to learn, right? Which is about the hard easy. It's about virtue. It's about realizing that you're going to recognize that learning comes through identifying weak spots, identifying areas that I need to grow in, 
and working on those things. And, um, and then also like the learning to learn, like what's, how do I prepare? So learning how to prepare myself for a game. What's my mindset? What's my, like my game day ritual? What's my pregame ritual? How do I get dialed in so that I'm fully prepared for what I can be ready for, right? So I'm not caught off guard when things happen. And just the, the fundamental value and importance of preparing oneself. So if you can learn those things in the context of a basketball game, <laughs> talk about a blessing to prepare these young women for life. And then learning to love learning. So how do you help them recognize a passionate purpose that's connected to basketball? And so what, what, what would that be? Well, I have a passionate purpose for... Uh, improving myself athletically. I have a passionate purpose to glorify God with the gifts he's given me. I have a passionate purpose to make my heavenly father proud. I have a passionate purpose to represent my school well, right? So there are all kinds of like meanings that can come from putting on a, a uniform and playing in a game. And so it's being able to tap into those things and saying, this is why we do this. And then learn to love learning, right? So pursue magnanimity. There's the word, right? I want to extend myself to do something great for God. I want to extend myself to do something great. I don't want to just settle for mediocre. I'm going to strive for the, the, the greatness that is in me. So these are the things that I'm going to be striving to foster in the girls that are on the team. So, um, and then next, next was about, um, like, how do you actually let this, how do you let this actually, um, uh, turn into, uh, like how the season unfolds or how a game unfolds. And, and this is one of those big challenges because when you get to high school sports, one of the things that can show up is, well, who gets to play? What about playing time? You know, and do you have to earn your way on the floor and all those sorts of all those sorts of things? And it's very often put forward as a as an either or. Either we're gonna do everything possible to win the game, and that means that the kids who don't get to play or only get to play in garbage time, they have to play the part of cheering on their the players that are on the floor. That's their job. Right? Or it's, hey, look, everyone's going to get a similar amount of playing time, and we're going to do our best in those constraints to win the game. Uh, but and that seems to be that like the the two, like take your pick. You can do one or the other. And I'm like, well, do we really have to? Can't we do a, a better way? And so, here's how I said it last night. I said my primary goal for each game is not just winning, but winning in a way that gives every player a winning experience in each game. Did you hear that? Winning in a way that gives every player a winning experience in each game. Like, what does that look like? What is a winning experience? Well, you can tell by the car ride home. <laughs> Mom and dad or parent that's driving home the kid from the game, let's say the game, let's say the team won, and the team won handily, but... The kid in the back seat that was playing and that was on the team didn't play until the very, very, very end and played garbage time only for a very brief minute or two and then got pulled out of the game. 
How's dad feeling about that? All right, how's mom feeling about it? Is that an enjoyable car ride home? The answer is no, not at all. And so I say it's my job to find a way to give each player a winning experience every game, win or lose. And uh, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that the player is going to be on the floor when it matters. I call that meaningful minutes. Because if you're going to have a chance for the parents to say, oh yeah, when you were out there and the ball came to you and you took that shot and it almost went in, or when you were playing defense against that girl and, and you got in there and you almost stole the ball, oh, it was amazing. It was so exciting watching you be right out there and giving it your all, right? That, that's a winning experience, even if they lose. So what I do is I try to balance winning and winning experience, right? And how do you do that with playing time? Well, what I say is players won't play equal minutes, but all players will play meaningful minutes. So the daughter, these girls are going to be on the court when it matters. And thereby, they're going to have chances to shine. They're going to have chances to get out there and be right in the mix. And it'll be my job to get them to be prepared to play the part that they can play, not the part that they can't play, but the part that they can play so that they will be right in the middle of things and set up for success to the extent that they can, right? And so, um, so that's, that, that's a lofty goal. It's not easy. But that means that players have to be really encouraged to develop, challenged to develop the gifts and skills to be successful and supported, encouraged, and held accountable along the way, supported when they're struggling, help them to step up, encouraged to be able to uh, affirm the success they see and held accountable, meaning, look, we're better than this. You're better than this. We can do better than this, guys. Come on, let's go. And so uh, one of the ways that I love to um, like let someone shine is um, every player is going to have a chance to be in the starting lineup during a home game. I just think that's so cool because during home games, starters get to be named. They get to be announced and they run out onto the floor. And so um, having a starting lineup like that where they're announced and they get to run out to the floor is so beautiful. That, that idea of being named, known, celebrated, cheered, encouraged, and in front of their, their classmates, in front of the school, that's a beautiful thing. That's a really powerful thing. So honestly, I think that uh, for me, that only will be able to happen if I am able to, in the, in, the, in the practices that we have before the games, identify the, the best gifts and the biggest weaknesses that we have as a team, and then find a way to leverage the gifts and diminish or hide the weaknesses so that they don't come back and, and, and hurt us. And at the same time, to discover what the biggest strengths of the other team is, as well as their biggest weaknesses, and do what, right? Diminish the impact of their biggest strengths and push them towards their biggest weaknesses. So for me, th th these are life lessons. These are like strategic lessons for living life well, getting a job, growing in a career, uh, growing as a person, and Packaging it in the context of coaching a basketball team 
it's just a beautiful way to show how the Lord uses what he has created us to be to help us be excellent disciples. All right, God bless your day.